And so this morning, we are privileged to have Reverend Corey Van Heusen, who's going to bring to us God's word. Uh, Reverend Van Heusen and Pastor Zach were served together at their church in Michigan, the, the Caledonia Gathering. So Corey, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, my name's Corey. I'm a husband, I'm a father, and I'm a pastor. And it's a real gift to be with you this morning. And I mean that sincerely from the bottom of my heart. Um, right now, I live over in uh, Tennessee. I uh, moved there because my wife works at uh, St. Jude Children's Hospital. And I'm a pastor of an online church, which means it's been a long time since I got to be in a room with real people <laughs> who sing like you sang this morning to worship with you. I'm a little overwhelmed by how meaningful this was. I was kind of surprised, to be honest with you. I, I've preached a few times live in the last uh, two years, but they were at like very big churches where it was, it was a heck of a show. But it, it, and I'm not dogging on them, but it, it didn't feel like a community of people who will come from all kinds of different walks of life to be church together like I felt with you this morning. So I just wanted to thank you so much for, for welcoming me here and for <clears throat> praise God for what he's doing amongst you. Um, also, since I'm uh, currently an online pastor and don't normally talk in front of people, I know I look comfortable. I assure you I'm not. Um, I need the Lord to be with me in the next few minutes as much as I, I also want him to be with you because it looks like the action's happening up here because there's a guy with a microphone strapped to his face and you're sitting over there and you're all looking up here. Um, but I pray that the action happens right where you are, that God does something in your heart this morning uh, as he's already been doing, as he's been doing in my heart, just being with you. Um, so, uh, as a way of signifying that, the same way you do with your children, uh, could you do that with me? That's my practice when I, I am a guest preacher at other churches. I just ask that I, I say the Lord be with you, and that you respond by saying, and also with you. Is that, can we do that this morning? Church, the Lord be with you. Thank you so, so much. Um, it is an honor uh, to be here, Zach, I'm really glad that the other 10 people you asked all said no, um, so that I could be here with you today. I actually asked my wife in preparation for this morning, I said, can you think of any endearing stories about Zach that I could share with the congregation? And, and she said, no. <laughs> to be honest, because when we first met Zach, that's not the kind of guy Zach was. He wasn't that like schmoozy, chat you up, uh, endearing in a, like a networking kind of way, kind of guy. Zach was a workhorse. Zach was a servant. When I met Zach, he was uh, working a job for a soil testing company. Uh, he was completing his degree in actuarial science. He was going to be uh, an insurance actuary, you know, help them make predictive models so that they can formulate their policies. Apparently, God had something else in mind for you. I mean, that's kind of why we're here this morning, right? When Zach joined our church, the gathering, um, we quickly tripled in size in one summer. 
when Zach joined our staff, volunteerism went up exponentially. Um, when Zach got involved, I noticed that people got involved. He never went halfway on anything. He went above and beyond on just about everything. He also questioned me on most things, which was really annoying. Because <laughs> I thought I was the senior leader, and uh, Zach thought we were a team. <laughs> he was right. We were so lucky to have him. And you are so lucky to have him. But um, I'm not going to you know, sit up here and just rattle off all of his accolades, because that's not what I'm here for. This morning, I'm here to say, Zach, you are loved. You're loved. And, and so are you. And I want to tell you why I know that's true. But in order to do that, I want you to pull out your Bibles. If you have them with you, you can pull it up on your phone if that's your vibe. Um, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start reading at verse 3. Um, while you're looking that up, for those of you who are new to Christianity or to the Bible, uh, Ephesians is not a book. It's a letter that a guy named Paul wrote to a group of people, a letter that was copied and distributed to a bunch of other folks and then preserved not just for decades but for centuries. That's what we're opening up this morning. A letter written by uh, this Paul, who, by the way, had this tremendously tumultuous life. Um, I like summing it up by saying Paul was a Christian murderer who became a Christian missionary. He was a church hunter who became a church planter. And, and the hinge for that change in his life happened when he met Jesus, rid, risen from the dead. It changed everything for him. He started planting churches all over the Aegean Sea. If you were looking at a map, that'd be uh, the Mediterranean Sea, this, this big bay on the northern coast of it. He'd go to all these coastal cities, these port cities. And, and the way he planted his churches is he would show up at the synagogue when they had services, and they'd let him preach because he was a really uh, well-educated, well-known Pharisee. But when he preached... He would start arguing that Jesus from Nazareth was the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, the one who would establish God's kingdom on earth for Israel. And that was okay, but he'd take it a step further and say that Jesus was not just the Messiah, he was the Son of God, come not to just establish the kingdom of God on earth for Israel, but to establish it for everyone. And that's why they ran him out of town. Every church he tried to plant, every synagogue he went to, he'd get run out of town, he'd get pelted with rocks, he'd get beaten to a pulp after they kicked him out of the pulpit. But even though he would get rejected, there was always a small group of people that he would gain traction with. In Ephesus, through a course of a few of events, uh, he caught the attention of this small group of both Jewish and pagan uh, people. And that small group wanted to know, they wanted to hear more about this Jesus that Paul talked about. And so the church in Ephesus was born. And the letter that we're about to read from is a letter to those people. 
Now, um, I should warn you too, before we jump into this, um, Paul's 21st century English grammar, not so good. Uh, his first century Greek grammar, in my opinion, also not so good, but I can't judge because I don't write or speak in first century Greek. I took some, and in my opinion, it seems like it's a little bit convoluted, and I think when you listen to me read this out loud, you're going to feel also like it's a little bit convoluted. So I, I want you to listen for three things as we read this. Paul's going to talk about spiritual blessings for this group of people. He's also not going to talk about their resume, their accolades, their regrets, or their mistakes. He's going to talk about who they are. He's going to talk about their identity. And he's going to use three spiritual blessings to describe their identity. So listen for them. The first one's going to be family. The second one's going to be forgiveness. And the third one, because I'm a preacher, is also going to start with F. Uh, it's going to be faith. Listen for those three. Praise be. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, because it's a mystery that God would freely give his grace, his forgiveness, and his redemption to everyone. He made known the mystery of his will and according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things. There's something about the redemption and the forgiveness of God that brings unity to all things, not to some things, to all things, not just to Jewish things, to all things, not just to pagan things, to all things, not just to your things or my things, not just to red things or blue things or conservative things or progressive things or religious things or irreligious things. There's something about the forgiveness and redemption of God that levels the playing field for all things. Unity to all things under Christ, in heaven and on earth under Christ. Uh, in him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who are the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory and you also remember he's talking to this little group of people who are interested in Jesus you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation when you believed when you had faith you were marked 
within him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We're gonna stop there. Three spiritual blessings. The first is family. Paul says God chose us. He predestined us. Before the creation of the world, some, t- some translations say before the foundation of the world, the foundation of the cosmos, God predestined us to be his children. The language that he uses is adoption. Now, here's the thing. It's really easy to get all hung up on his convoluted language there, get all hung up on on the words he uses like, like predestination and before the foundation of the world. I mean, what kind of statement is Paul making here about the nature of time and, and reality and, and God's omniscience and he knew beforehand that some people were gonna choose later and, and how does that all work? Did he pick some to, to condemn and pick some to save and how does that work? None of that's Paul's point here. Those are interesting things. We can talk about them, we can debate them, and Christians have for centuries. But none of that's Paul's point here. Remember who he's talking to. He's a pastor. He's not a physicist or a biologist. He's not trying to make a statement about the nature of reality. He's trying to make a statement about the nature of their relationship to God. He's impressing onto this group of people that God has opted to make them part of his own family. Now, you gotta ask yourself, why is this so important to this group of people? I mean, we know it's important because this letter was was copied and, and kept and passed around and preserved. This isn't grandpa's love letters to grandma from 10 decades ago. This is centuries that this has been kept. This was really important to them. Why was it so important? I think for both the Jewish and the pagan folks in the audience, it was important because they didn't know where they stood with the gods. For the Jewish folks in the audience, they thought that God chose them to be in the family because of their bloodlines and then subsequently their religious behavior. They were in the family because they were part of Abraham's family. And the way you knew you were in Abraham's family was you followed the Abrahamic rules that were written down by Moses. And by the way, that's a really thick bunch of papers with a lot of rules. How are you supposed to know if you're keeping all of those perfectly to know where you stand with God? For the pagan folks in the room, they really didn't know what the gods thought about them. As far as they could tell, the gods didn't really think much about them at all. For the most part, they were just distant deities who could care less. The best that they could hope for is to offer enough, sacrifice enough, to give enough in order to gain the gods' favor or at least stay off their radar so that they could ensure themselves a decent life. Both of these groups had the same religious result, though. An unattainable or an unknowable expectation for how to please the divine, which, which could leave them to wonder and never really be sure what the divine thought about when it thought about them. To wonder what the God or what the gods think about when they think about us. And to that group of people, Paul says, you don't have to wonder 
You don't have to wonder. God chose you to be a part of the family. Before your bloodline ever existed, before your religious behavior ever came into play, God decided that that you would be his child, that you would be a part of his family, your family. Now, this would have been a difficult concept for this group of people to accept so easily. I mean, their entire relationship with the divine was based on bloodlines and behavior. I mean, the idea of parsing out God's love from your bloodline or behavior was completely foreign. I mean, the divine's pleasure is not based on my religious performance. How could that possibly be? Isn't it about me knowing the right things and doing the right things and saying the right things and believing the right things in order to please God? Which, which leads to Paul's second blessing. Redemption. You're forgiven. Some of them may have protested as they read Paul's letter. Paul, what's the point of faith and religion if God just loves me and accepts me to be part of his family? What's the point of, of faith and religion? What, what about all my sins, all my flaws, my mistakes, regrets, the intentional and the unintentional ways that I hurt myself and other people? And, and more importantly, what about their flaws and their mistakes and their regrets? What's the point of religion other than to give me a pathway to make up for that stuff, a pathway to please God? Paul says, no, no, God saw fit to redeem you. That's it. You are forgiven. There isn't something that you have to do. It's already been done. It's not in your blood that you got the redemption. It's in his blood that you receive the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As that old hymn says, Jesus purchased your pardon on the cross. Now, you might ask yourself, well, what does that mean? Why do Christians say that? Oh, Jesus died for me. What does that mean? Well, in Paul's worldview, he saw sin as ending up in death every time. He saw the, the, the salary. In one of his uh, other letters, he, he wrote that the wages of sin is death. In other words, sin's salary is, is destruction, and, and the truth is, you, you kind of already know this intuitively, even if you've never thought about it that way, or you say, well, I don't believe that, Corey. I think you all kind of know this intuitively. Um, think about your relationships, your relationship with a spouse or a good friend. When you lie, and we'd call that a sin, a little death occurs in your relationship, right? And for Paul, the way he sees the world, he says, look, every sin results in some kind of death. In a life filled with sin ends in destruction. We're all on this sort of sliding slope. We're slaves to it, on our way to destruction. The ultimate outcome for a life filled that way is separation from God and all that is good. And so in order to solve that, to save humanity from that end, God the Father sent his son Jesus to renegotiate the relationship. The word that Paul uses is redemption, and it's an ancient slave market term that refers to purchasing a slave's freedom. That means that Jesus purchased 
our freedom from that slavery to that slope of sin and ultimately to destruction and the purchase price that would have been our life was his life you have redemption the forgiveness of sins he brought you back from death with his own life so paul says to the ephesians listen god loved you so much that he thought that you were worth dying for He valued you so much that he thought that you were worth giving his life for, which, again, raises that interesting question. Well, then, okay, if religion, if it's not going to be about how I can sort of make up for my own mistakes in order to gain God's favor, then, then what does it look like going forward? What is this whole thing if it's not about a pathway to please God? God already has chosen you to be in the family and has forgiven you in Christ. So now what's this whole thing about? And that's where the third blessing comes in, faith. Paul says you were marked with the Holy Spirit when you believed. To believe, the Greek word there is pistis, is to have faith. It means that you, you trust that God chose you to be in the family. You trust that Jesus' death does purchase your pardon and buys your freedom. You trust and believe that that's true and then accept the invitation to live in love like him in response. Which I think, I think the world is desperate for the church to do this. I think the world is desperate for the church to be a people who believe in the forgiveness of God that there isn't something you have to do to earn it that it's already been done and that in response to that we would live and love like Jesus I think the world needs that so much Paul's point uh, for the Ephesians here he, he says if you've had really any shred of a desire to do that to live and love like Jesus it means you've been marked with the Holy Spirit. Um, Christ Community Church is part of a denomination called the Christian Reformed Church, which has its historical roots in the Reformed tradition. In the Reformed tradition, we have a couple of documents that we, we refer to every now and then that try to help us make sense of the Bible. One of those is called the Canons of Dort, and the Canons of Dort does its best to give language to what happens here with the, the way the Holy Spirit kind of works in us to be able to live and love like Jesus. And the word that it uses is regeneration. That there's something that the Holy Spirit does inside of us that, that regenerates us, that changes us, that inspires us, that empowers us to live and love like Jesus in the world. That's what your faith is now. It's not a pathway to please God. It's receiving and accepting that invitation to receive his forgiveness and live and love like him in a world that desperately needs it. Now, for a community of people, it's really great for me to say those things and see you nodding your heads, and I hear amen, and I think that's great. This group of people would not have accepted that. That would have been really difficult to wrap their, their minds around. For a community of people whose entire religious experience was based on bloodlines and behavior, Paul's perspective on God here is pretty radical. You might wonder, well, what's your evidence, Paul? 
What's your evidence that, that, that you know this so surely about, about family and forgiveness and, and faith, this, this whole thing? What, what's your evidence for this? I think Paul would say it's, it's Jesus. If you comb back through this passage, those 10 verses or so, you'll, you'll read it over and over and over again. In Jesus, in him, in love, in the one he loves, in him, in Christ, in him, over and over and over. It's all referenced. It's all pointing back to Jesus as the evidence for Paul's argument. Jesus was once sitting with his disciples, and, and one of his disciples, Philip's, gets frustrated with the confusion around his understanding about God, and finally says, just show us the Father. And Jesus says, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, if you want to know what God is like, look at me. If you want to know what God thinks about you, you want to know what God thinks about people, look at the way that I have treated you. Look at the way I have treated people. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I loved you so much, I thought you were worth dying for. So I say to you this morning, Zach, you were loved. This is how I know. But not just you, the every one of you. You are loved. You're family. You're forgiven. And you are a part of or in being invited into a faith that not only you and I need, but this world desperately needs. People who receive that and live in love like Jesus in response. To live out of that identity. Um, Zach, today is your ordination. You've been serving here as pastor for almost a year now. Coming up, uh, maybe in January, right? You've been here for, for three quarters of a year. But today's the official date. It's really the date where this church, you, recognize and ordain you into a particular role in this community. But that role will be so enhanced if you are settled in your identity, that you are loved. You know, Jesus had his own ordination of sorts. Um, it happened at his baptism. And at his baptism, God the Father spoke. Does anybody remember what he said? This is my son, whom I love. Before he healed anybody, before the loaves and fishes thing, before he walked on water, before he went and dueled with the devil in the desert, before he had any accolades, any resume, he had the love of his heavenly father. So do you. So do you. Later on in the same letter, this letter to this little church in Ephesus. Paul said that God gave pastors to the church to equip the saints for works of service, for works of ministry. That means it's not your job to fix people. It's not your job to convince people or convert people. It's not your job to 
to solve people or to save people. It's simply your job to equip them for works of service. And the best way to do that is to remind these people who they are. They're family. They're forgiven. And they're a part of a faith that this world desperately needs. Friends, you are loved so much that your heavenly father thought that you were worth dying for. In response, we're all being invited to live out of that identity in a world that desperately needs it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are so good to us. You've been so good, so faithful. Lord, I, I do feel pressed to admit on behalf of those of us who, who at times get you confused with life, that as long as life is good, then that means you are good, but if life's not good, if life's hard, if life's difficult, if life is so rough on us, that somehow we imagine that you are no longer good. Lord, I pray that you would impress on us this truth that we've heard today, that we are loved and that and that your love is not based on our current circumstance, certainly not our bloodline or behavior, but that it's based on the cross and what happened there. Lord, thank you. Thank you for that. Jesus, thank you for being willing to shed your blood on our behalf to purchase our pardon. What a gift to know that, that I don't have to live my life trying to earn love or make up for my mistakes but that I can live and love like you because I, am, I know deeply that I am loved by you. Lord, I pray that you would sink that deep identity into Zach and that you'd sink that identity even more deeply into this church. What a gift Christ community is. Lord, you've been at work here. I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, continue to inspire and empower them to impact this community. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.